10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, the time is 1pm on Sunday the 28th of November and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show is the first of hopefully many what I've called pastoral CPD clinics. Often there's a pastoral size gap in schools training and I'm here to do my best to fill it. First up today, it's strategies to build positive relationships with students and also low-level disruption. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. As always, thank you. Those that are already in the studio got the early birds straight in. This is the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. And today's a Teachers Talk Radio first. Um, well, definitely for me. Um, I've decided to to find my niche. <laughs> decided to find my niche. When I say find, I just created it myself. And I've decided to start making um, Teachers Talk Radio shows specifically about what I have now called pastoral cpd clinics whether that name sticks or whether i decide to change it who knows um but i don't know what, i've called it a clinic because my vision my vision is that at some point we'll get people who like call in and will say ah i've got this issue in maybe with a particular child or maybe it's a particular class or it's a particular something and i don't know i just offer some advice i'm not going on like i'm some guru but i'm definitely experienced in the field of pastoral also I'd consider myself to be fairly skilled or proficient in the classroom, but I think most of that has come down to um, a conscious decision on my part to foster very good relationships with students that I teach and students at large. And I think that fil- that kind of filters in um, to the classroom and underpins everything I try to do in the classroom and gets a lot of buy-in from the kids. So those of you that are already in the room, thank you very much. Please do let me know where you're listening in from. Be very intrigued to know um, where are people listening from? There's a couple people in there. I see Christian. I recognize that name. I feel like you've listened to one of the shows before. So thank you for coming back. If you wondered what happened to my last show, boy. <clears throat> wow. Last week was an interesting one. Last week, what did happen? I had a mental health focus last week and I was joined by Dr. Ben Hibbard. And then um, what happened? Yeah, the show just cut out within about, I don't know, 10 minutes in, I would say, 10, 15 minutes in, 10 minutes in, the show just went dead. Podbean absolutely tried to finish me and the show just cut out. What that meant was I then had to start a whole brand new show and I lost my intro and everything else and then just had to go with it. And then what happened was Mr. Tom Rogers did some uh, some fancy editing and what it meant was the show is definitely on Podbean, but I think the show has been taken off Spotify, which is a massive shame. Let me just bring an audio effect just for that, because that is a massive shame. Last week's show on mental health is no longer on Spotify. It is a boo situation. It is a boo situation. I'm very annoyed by that, but there's not much I can do. Tom Rogers did me a solid by just trying to um, edit in the intro because there was no intro. But then when you change the actual audio, it updates on Podbean, but doesn't update on Spotify. So that's a shame. 
just before kind of, let me just wait for the room to fill up. I'm going to be opt- optimistic and hope the room will fill up. Who knows? Who knows? It may just be one that people listen back to um, on Podbean and Spotify. If you're wondering who I am, like I said, I'm Khalil Rouse. This is a Sunday lunch show on Teachers Talk Radio, and I'm going to be talking all things pastoral. There is a definite inextricable link between things pastoral and obviously the classroom. I'm not going to try and do that thing where um, I create a division between the pastoral world and the teaching world. I don't agree with that. I think the two are inextricably linked, um, but I think the teaching world can learn a lot from the pastoral and also vice versa, um, especially since I've kind of bridged both. I've always been teaching, but I've been in the pastoral world for the last five, six, seven, I don't know how many years now, I've lost track, seven years maybe, um, of my career. What's going, before we start, what is going on these days? The new, the news, the big news is there's a return, one over a term, we've got a variant, a new variant. And I think it's called Omicron. And I had to do some research to find and tell myself and kind of enlighten myself that Omicron is just a letter of the Greek alphabet. Numpty here didn't know that. So there was there I was making jokes on Twitter um, about Omicron sound like a transformer, when really it's just another letter of the Greek alphabet. So I don't know how, we're going to run out of letters soon. Hopefully not though. Um, so we've got the new variant. A lot of discussion, as you can imagine, on Edu Twitter and the Twitter platform about what this will mean for schools, because government is now changing. Government's changing its kind of advice on what happens if you you test positive for Omicron and then someone comes into contact with you, then they have to self isolate, even if they're not vaccinated, even if they're vaccinated, which is mad. That's a turn out for the books. They're really trying to limit it. So people are asking the question, hold on. So if Omicron comes into schools, hello, greetings. Um, greetings, Miss M- Maths. Um, greetings. Um, what was I going to say? So yeah, the question being asked, and I wonder the question on everyone's lips, on their mouths, lips, mouths, on their mind is, if Omicron comes into the schools, are we going back into the bubbles? Because we came out of bubbles recently because the government said it was fine. And now Omicron's turned up. The variants come into the UK. Are we reinstilling bubbles and everything else? I don't know. I don't have the answer. I do wonder. I wonder what you guys think. Are we going to go back to bubbles? Worst case scenario, are we going to go back to a lockdown? I don't know. But it's um, it's worrying times as always, man. Is it ever going to go? I don't know. Is it just going to vary and vary and vary? Boy, who knows? But I hope everyone's trying to keep as positive as possible and we just stick to what we know we can do and we stick to us in the limit of our control. And hope for the best, man. Hope for the best. Right. Um, yeah, so let's get into this because this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Um, and hopefully I can get you guys to be interactive or we can call in or you can share. And the reason why, like I said in the intro, there is a gap in the market. And I don't think enough time is put into trying to teach teachers how to build relationships with kids, but also um, to teach teachers just how to kind of interact in a way that will... Um, also what I want support the learning in the classroom that's the whole point of this like I'm not trying to act like the two are, are completely separate the whole point is if you build positive relationships with your students everything becomes a little bit easier if students buy into what you do in the classroom everything seems to come a little bit easier yeah so the whole point here is I'm going to hopefully go through I've got some articles as always I've got my own advice from just what I've tried to do over the last x amount of years and we're going to get into it after one more intro for the people then live from london 
This is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon again. It is 1.08 on Sunday the 28th of November and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, in today's show, it's the first of hopefully many pastoral CPD clinics because I've noticed there's a pastoral-sized gap in the school's training and CPD calendar and I'm here to do my best to fill it. First up, it's about building positive relationships with students and also a bit of low-level disruption. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Right. During that intro, this is the first. I had a caller in during the intro. I've got Enter Hub Int- Entertainment. You are now live on Teacher Talk Radio. How are you? I'm good. You're good? Yeah. Welcome. What's your name? Where are you calling from? I'm John Moshiri from Kenya. From from Kenya? Yeah. Kenya. Podbean's big in Africa. I've realized this over the different... So many episodes. I have so many... um. So many African listeners, it's wonderful. What do you do for a living, John? I am an IT. I am information technology. Okay, okay. So you're currently... Okay, you're cu- okay. Ooh. So you're currently... Do you have headphones by any cur- chance? Because I'm getting a lot of feedback. You, there we go, we're back. Do you have headphones um, say, You're currently on teachers... Feedback. Ooh, there we go, we're back. Um, do you have headphones, John? Teachers- Ooh, feedback. Do, you have, do you have headphones, John? Do you have any headphones? Do you have John? any headphones, John? <laughs> I feel like I'm just talking like to myself. John, are you still there? I'm after this clip the call. I'm just going to hear myself on the echo. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, could you have any headphones? Yeah, do you have any headphones? Yes. Could you put them in, please? Because currently in, all I can hear is myself. Okay, sure. Thank you. I'd love to speak to you. I'd love to speak to you. I just don't want to hear myself all the time. Are, we, are you there, John? Oh, let me oh, see. I'm muted. John? John? I think he's going to get some headphones. Let me mute John for now. John, let me know when you're back, because I want to talk to an IT specialist about um, building relationships with students. I anyway, welcome to the people in the studio. Oh, you're back. There we go. John, hello. Hello. Right, John, we're talking, so at school, John, do you feel like teachers really tried to build positive relationships with you, or do you think they just stood in front of the classroom and just tried to teach? Teachers are creating a positive attitude, but right now here in Kenya, boarding schools are putting, are setting schools on fire. Boarding schools Banning are setting schools. schools on fire? Yes. Right now, it's Elabor- a major elaborate, problem. Please, what do you mean? Now we need. Uh, they are banning dormitories, classes. Yeah. You say they're banning classes. They're banning classes. Yes. How? What? You, I, I need more information. So schools in Kenya, boarding schools, are setting schools on fire. I need. I don't understand. I need more information. There. Can you give me? Can you give me an and just elaborate, please? I don't understand yet. They are banning like rioting and then they are banning the classes 
Burning with fire. Burning. Who's burning? Kids are burning the classrooms. Yes. With like matches and flames. Problem. Yes. Wow. What do you think's caused that? Apart from um, science, which things caused that? Yes. What's the cause, John? Sorry, can you hear me? What's the cause? What's causing it? Students are saying that the teachers are not treating them well. They are saying they want to go for meetings for holidays. Yeah. And you know so, now the, the, the time for going to school has been squeezed because of the pandemic. Now those who are about to finish their courses are now, their courses have been squeezed. I see. So, te- so students are not happy with the teachers. Yes. So, in response, students are now setting classrooms on fire. Yes. Wow. So, is that all over Kenyan news at the moment? Yes, it's all over. Students are What's... being arrested, taken to police stations. Yeah. Wow. What age? What age are we talking? Secondary school, like 15, 16? We, talk- we are talking about high school. 16. Wow. Yeah. So what what's the plan? Is the plan to just not open schools or to just keep arresting kids? What's the plan? What they are doing, parents are going to pay for those damages caused by the students and then the students go for home for two weeks and then they come back to school. So they get, they're basically, so in, in the UK we say they get excluded, so they're going to get excluded for two weeks. No, there's two, or you know they cannot stay without the the where they sleep, it is burnt. So they have to go back home, and then the school repairs the dormitories, and then they come back to school. And then those who are found for burning schools are arrested, and then the others are given money to come to pay for the damages. All of wow. them. So. Th- Wow, those of you that have just joined the studio expecting to hear me speak about pastoral stuff. I'm currently joined by John live from Kenya. And what John's telling me is at the moment, students in Kenya on the well, in Kenya are burning dormitories and burning classrooms um, because they're not happy with the state of education at the moment and they're not happy with their teachers. Is that correct, John? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I thought we had it. I thought we had it bad when when kids try to give us a bit of a hard time in a lesson, and maybe at the worst might swear at us. But I don't know about you guys in the room. I've never heard of anyone in the UK on our news a massive spate of people actually setting things on fire in school. That sounds that does not sound great. So let me just ask you a quick question, um, John. How in, so? When you were at school, like I said, when you were at school, do you think your teachers? actually tried to build relationships with you or do you think they just tried to teach you and send you on your way they were just trying to teach us and uh, some a bit of relationship not all of them do you think it's important for teachers to try and build a relationship yes teachers should build a relationship because when they know what's disturbing the kids at school at least students will not be able to set up schools on fire they not being they not feel uncomfortable at school. Yes. Yeah. So if, if teachers showed a bit more understanding and empathy about what the kids are going through, then kids wouldn't have to resort yes. to such extreme means of protest essentially. Yes. 
And then you know where many students are facing challenges at home. You know the economy is bad. So when they come to school and they are stressed up and then the teacher stress them up even more, they feel like they go on riots. Yeah. Listen, you're, you're hitting, you are hitting the nail on their head. And I think our listeners will, will empathise with this. We've got kids coming out of a lockdown. We've got kids with mental health issues. We've got kids with tough home lives. And they sometimes yeah. come to school. Like you said, school can be the uh, the escape from things that are going on at home. And like you said, if you've got a stressful home environment and you come to school, maybe you display some behaviours that are what we consider to be negative. But if the response is for teachers to cause you even more stress in the way they deal with you, then that's not going to solve the problem. That's only going to make it worse. I agree. That's, that was a dramatic pause there. I thought you were going to respond because I know there's been a bit of a delay. But yeah, so what I'm going to do, John, thank you very much for coming on. If you please stay stay in the Podbean studio, but I'm going to move on to the next little part of, my sh- of the show. And I'm actually going to talk about how teachers can build relationships, positive relationships with their students to hopefully um, make their time at school more positive. And also under kind of established great learning environments in the classroom as well. So John, thank you for calling in, but please do stay in the live studio and message in and call in again if something really takes your fancy. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, John. All the best. Right, let me disconnect. Wowzers. Listen, trust, trust me. I've just seen the message. Wow, it's strange, man. You live in this bubble. Well, of course, you live in a bubble. We live in this little UK bubble, bubble where all our we like we look at all our problems. We don't really look outward that much, um, and it's mad. So, if you just joined and you wonder what was going on, so that was John from um, from Kenya, and he's just basically saying, similarly to the UK in terms of potentially you've got well any schooling system, you can have kids who feel like maybe the teachers aren't there with their best interests at heart or maybe um don't show enough don't show enough enough empathy to what the students are going through maybe the teachers interactions with the students are wholly negative and maybe there isn't much mutual respect or care or warmth maybe and what the students in kenya are doing um is what john's telling us is setting their dormitories on fire and i'm not talking figuratively um, I'm talking, we're not talking like the situation, we're not talking, we're talking literally with matches and flames. So he's saying this is something going on in Kenyan schools at the moment. They are setting dormitories on fire as a means of protest to, the, to say that they're not happy with how schools are being run at the moment, how they teach the treatment. them. And as Mrs. O. Mafsa just said in the chat, it is putting things in perspective because there we are, because we've got little, little, I don't know, little Ahmed at the back of the classroom causing issues. Um, day in day out maybe not maybe not paying attention and trying to be the class clown and in Kenya you've got kids burning up the place wow 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 definitely put pink things in, into perspective I've seen Karen in the chat do you know what I'm gonna go on a tangent because I did a um I will get to the main part of the show but um I did an assembly recently um on and it was on individual liberty as it is as a uh, British value and I did one of these assemblies last year as well. And it was pretty, last year's assembly was pretty dull. Like it's very mundane. I didn't feel like I made the assembly on individual liberty very captivating or engaging. It was just kind of, it was all right, but 
I tried to carry it with my own personality as you do, but it actually wasn't that engaging for the kids. So I thought this year, let me try and make a change. Um, shout out to Michael Jackson. Um, so what I did at the start of my assembly on individual liberty, I framed it as, hi guys, I'm the designated safeguarding lead. And as part of my role to really boost your well-being and your safety and to minimize bullying and everything else, I've come up with some new rules. So as part of the assembly, I said, right, so there's some new rules in school and you'll have your chance to, to kind of give me feedback at the end. But yeah, these are, remember, these are all done for your benefit. And these were the rules, if I remember rightly. These were the rules. The first one was that year groups were no longer allowed to mix inside or outside of school. So that meant year nine stuck with year nines, year eights with year eights, year sevens with year sevens. I, our school only has three year groups, hence why I'm saying year nines, eight, sevens. That was the first rule. The second rule was that the pupil council was now going to be elected by staff. Um, and I frame that as staff having a, a, a just a, a, a bit more of an influence over the pupils that are chosen just to make sure they carry their role out as well as possible for the for the improvement of all the pupils in school. That was the second rule. The third rule was students are not allowed any social media sites or apps or um, platforms apart from WhatsApp. That was the only one they were allowed. And the next one was, if you do, when if you have WhatsApp, which is fine, good, well done, and you have any group chats, the group chats are limited to four people only. <laughs> and the final one was, um, we have a thing called enrichment, which is like an activity as part of their timetable. I said that all boys must now do football as enrichment and all girls must now do netball as enrichment. Those were the rules that I said at the start of this assembly. And as you can imagine, there was absolute carnage and uproar. And what I did was I allowed the kids to, to raise their hand and politely contest it, argue it, ask questions and so on and so forth. And eventually I managed to break the truth, break the news that it was all a lie, of course. But the reason why they were so, the reason why they were so kind of um, angry about it was because they have, they're used to having certain individual liberties like the right to private life and freedom of expression and freedom of association, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, that was something again. But then I said to the kids, the reason why I'm saying this is, I said to them, I said in other places in the, in the world, those rules in inverted commas that I made up just then wouldn't be out of place. They wouldn't be out of place. There are certain, there are less free nations in the world where if they said to the kids, sorry guys, you're only allowed to have WhatsApp now, they would just have to take it on the chin and deal with it. So I said it about putting things in perspective to make sure the British kids, our British citizens, realise they are in a privileged position relative to other places in the world. And again, so what John was talking about in Kenya, about kids setting things on fire and, that, and then kids having to be sent home because they need to kind of restore the school is putting things into perspective as well. Right, I've got more before. Let's get let's get into this. There's enough of a tangent. Let's get into this. Um, building positive relationships with kids. What I want from you guys in the chat. Um, what would be your top tip on if a new if in like an NQT and ECT or even let me let me even talk about it. it's not even just new teachers. I've got teachers that have been teaching for five, six, seven years who go to a new school. You still have to learn how to, you still have to rebuild relationships there as well. So what would you say would be your advice? Like we're talking practical things teachers can do to actually build great relationships with their students. And it's not something that's going to come overnight, I agree. But it is something that you need to, some people need to consciously do it because I don't think it comes naturally to every adult and every teacher and every member of staff. It doesn't, I don't think it comes naturally. I think teachers instinctively act in a way that they would have experienced themselves because you only can do what you know and you can only can kind of mirror what you've experienced. 
And I think it takes a conscious decision to say, do you know what? I don't want to be a teacher like I've experienced. I want to be this type of teacher instead. Someone's called, he's calling it again. John, come back. Come on then. John, are you there? Maybe not. Oh, no, don't think so. Right. So the first advice that I'm going to give um, to teachers listening is to promote kind of relationship, positive relationship with all your students, you need to have certain things at your core. And I tweeted these out earlier today, and they are mutual respect, care, empathy, and warmth. Those are the those are the things I think you need to have at the heart of all your interactions with students. I'll say them again, mutual respect, care, empathy, and warmth. And I think you need as much as possible to not display, and it sounds easier said than done. I get we can all be annoyed at times, but as much as possible, try not to be negative in your emotions in any situation. And if you are going to be negative, it shouldn't definitely be in front of a whole class, in my opinion. I think as soon as you start going down the line of, of losing your temper and shouting and telling kids to, rather than telling them to just giving them a signal to stop talking, telling them to shut up, for example, because I know there are teachers in the world that have told their class to shut up. As soon as you start that kind of your lack of respect in the way that you talk to students, you're going to lose them. And all you're going to get is bite back. That's all you're going to get. So even in a situation where kids are testing your patience, um, even in a situation where the kids being, um, there's been like defiance in the classroom, I consciously, the worse a child's behavior is, the more calm I get personally. So put it this way, you're more likely to hear my tone of voice switch up if a kid's not facing the front than you are to hear my tone of voice switch up if a kid says something really disrespectful to someone else in the classroom. If a kid's been disrespectful in the classroom or done some kind of mid to high level disruption, I'm not going to meet that with anger or like a loud voice and a shout or a, a, a whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to meet it with that because all that does is exacerbate the issue. But if a kid's not facing the front because they're just like daydreaming, you're more likely to hear me switch up the tone and tell them to face forward, for example. Tommy's come straight in, a good kind of um, Twitter acquaintance of mine, I'll call it. And he's just, his first words are be genuine. And that's the thing. I, I think I even mentioned in a tweet that I did earlier today. If you, if you don't genuinely want to build positive relationships with your students, then don't try it. Just don't. If you're not there for that purpose, if you don't actually want to build positive relationships with students, maybe just want to teach a subject and get on with your day, then cool, fine. But then don't be annoyed if the culture in your classroom is not right. But don't be annoyed. If you don't want to do it, cool. But if you want to build relationships, then you, it's got to come from a genuine place. It's got to come from a genuine place. And if you don't want to, then I do question why you're in the profession, just saying. But um, so Tommy's saying being genuine, you can't fake it. Kids, listen, kids are intuitive. Kids are very intuitive. They can tell when someone's behavior management style isn't in keeping with their personality. They can see through that. They can also tell if you don't actually like them. Kids can be like, the amount of times I hear kids saying, Madam, like, Miss doesn't like me. And it's just from the interactions that you have. Because as a teacher, the words and your tone, kids are very intuitive. And the same, they've been, they can read you better than you can often read yourself. So as Tommy said, he's saying kids figure that out quickly. If you, you, cannot, you can't fake wanting to get to know them. And yeah, no, I'm just saying he's, he's right. So he's saying relationship building doesn't always look the same. Don't feel bad if you're not the massively confident or outgoing teacher. Agreed. I know that 
I am obviously one of the more um, confident. Um, I, I'm a performer in the classroom, but not it doesn't come naturally to everyone. But maybe there's no point trying to be the performer if that's not your personality. But you can you can curate a personality in the classroom that will still be positive. But you need to you need to make it genuine. You need to make it genuine. Um, if you are quieter, then you just have to make your instructions really clear, and you need to make your consequences really clear. And you say to a student, listen, if you're not a shouter, don't shout. Like if you ain't got the, if you've not got the voice, I don't say shout. If you've not got the voice to kind of project in a way that's going to carry, then don't do it. Don't do it. What I would say is wait for the moments when you've got the silence and work on that. As well. That's a different strategy. When you've got the silence, you need to make things really clear. Just make it really clear about what will happen if the kid does this and what will happen if the kid chooses to do that. And if the kid chooses the wrong option, you follow through. And if you if the kid doesn't respond, then you can get support from um, your kind of on-call system or whatever. But then one thing that I really encourage teachers to do is own, own the interaction. So if you've managed, if you had to call for support to the classroom because a kid's not doing what you wanted them to do and you told them this would be the outcome, good, well done. But when the support has arrived, don't do that thing. In my opinion, what should happen is the supporting member of staff should go in the classroom. And you as a teacher should go outside and have a conversation with that pupil to reaffirm how we got to where we are and then to have a, a restorative conversation. And I'm going to get onto restorative conversations later on. But this is, as you can tell, I'm going to go on a massive ramble here. But having that, owning that conversation is so much more powerful than deflecting it and giving it to the senior member staff. Because in, in doing that, you've undermined your own authority, I believe. I believe you undermine your own authority. You should have, you need to have the confidence as a teacher to be able to deal with the situation. Sometimes it's outside the classroom. Maybe it's not the thing in front of the classroom. That's fine. Get the support and then say, right, let me go speak to so-and-so outside and say, right, here's what, let's just talk about what happened just then. Give them an opportunity to speak. Say what you need from them. Tell them what will happen if they do it and say, right, we're going to have a good time. We're going to learn, blah, 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 blah. If you don't choose to follow the expectations, then this will happen instead. Ask if they agree. And if they don't agree, then tell them what's going to happen. <laughs> and if they're going to agree, bring them in. But my definite piece of advice in this situation to build positive relations with your students is to own the interactions when things go wrong. Own it. Don't deflect it all the time to someone more, inverted commas, senior, because then you're never going to build your own confidence to deal with it. And the, the, the students never actually going to look at you as a position of authority. They're going to look at you as a bit of a deflector. Obviously, time is of the essence, everything else. But let's see, there's a lot of comments in the chat, so hopefully people are bouncing off or maybe they're disputing what I'm saying. Um, so what we've got, so we've got Karen, so one of my kind of avid listeners, <laughs> I'd call her, is saying, basic daily tips, smile, say good morning, ask how their students' weekend day is, welcome them back, show you're happy to see them, fresh starts every lesson, learn and use names, be positive. Positivity conquers all. Positivity conquers all. Depending on your school's routines, I teach in a school where students must start the lesson in, in silence. So for me, and if you came into my classroom, my greeting is a silent smile and a nod because I don't want to speak if I know kids need to be in silence. But in other schools where 
it's not as strict as you need to be in absolute silence as you enter, then yes, I used to do the whole kind of morning, morning, how you doing? Hey, the morning, morning, welcome, morning, 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 that kind of stuff. Really happy, just saying, right, let's get going, let's get it cracking. And the kids respond to that, definitely. So what I do now, um, because my school has silent starts to lessons, I don't say anything at the start. I just kind of smile at the door and I stand at the front and I don't say a word because I don't believe in trying to use noise to get silence. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so I stand at the door, get them in. And then if I need to speak to give them a reminder, then I will do. But otherwise I try not to speak. And then after they've done the silent do now, I'll say, excellent, 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 excellent. Wonderful start. Now we're ready to learn. Blah, 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 blah. Great to see everyone. Let's get this cracking. Here are the answers. Mark them. Now let's get on with the rest of the lesson. That's where I kind of introduce a positivity without undermining the school routine as well. So it does depend on your school routines, how you do that. But what Karen's saying is being positive. I don't know who decided that don't smile till Christmas nonsense. I'm glad it's in ah, Star From 101. I'd put that in the bin now. Whoever told or made up or thought that trying to be stern McStern and not have any emotion that's, uh, that's not negative for the first term is a bunch of nonsense. I'm not saying be a pushover and I'm not saying um, not set your boundaries and clear your expectations and everything else and your standards. But that whole don't smile till Christmas nonsense is nonsense and needs to go in the bin. This way I'd have the kind of bin sound effect. Um, but that needs to go in the bin. That's a bunch of nonsense. Um, I very much, you need to smile. You need to show them that you're human. Um, yeah, Karen's kind of, um, Karen said, set boundaries and make it known you are there for them and their subject progress and your actions in the classroom will always reflect. Agreed. And I think the kind of letting them, making it know that they're there for them, that might not be something that you can do in the classroom in that lesson. So if you've got a student that you know has been causing an issue for you from the start, for whatever reason, first of all, my advice is assume it's being caused by something more serious. Someone is also calling in. Once I've got, so I've got a caller in, let's see who this is. The anticipation is, is killing me. Mohammed, no, yes, no. Oh, he's trying again, is he there? Mohammed, are you there? Nope, Mohammed, you're on mute. You've now gone. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, so Karen said, set boundaries and make it known that you're there for them. And my response to that is agreed, but you need to choose the right time to do that. You need to choose the right time to do that um, because you can't, that's not the kind of thing you can do in a lesson, I don't think, um, unless it's in a small, a small thing that you say in your interactions with the whole class. But definitely, if a lesson hasn't gone well for a particular kid, it's on you as a teacher, in my opinion, to source that kid out and have a restorative conversation. And it makes sense to broach now, I'm gonna make a note to come back to restorative conversations because a restorative conversation is not just another opportunity to tell the kid what they did wrong. I'm gonna say it one more time. A restorative conversation is not just another opportunity to tell a child what they did wrong. If that's what you think they are and you're listening back to this and that's maybe what you've done in the past, you need to change. You need to make some changes. You need to make some changes now because that's not what the purpose of a restorative conversation is. When I go through the comments, I'm going to talk about restorative conversations because I think they're very, very powerful when done well. And they're also pointless and can make things worse when they're done badly. 
Tommy's come back in in the chat. This is Tommy. And Tommy's saying, I think a key thing too is sometimes people think it takes a number of big acts or statements when in reality, it's just the buildup of small interactions every day. On a safeguarding course, they called it end of the table TLC. Um, it only takes a few quiet words sometimes. At its most basic, it's just showing them you care. How do you show someone you care? You take time out of your day to speak to them. Pretty simple, isn't it? Same with like a member of staff and your line manager. How do, how do, how do you know your line manager actually cares when they've gone out of your way to check in with you, for example? How do your partner or your loved ones care one way is they take time out of their day to check in with you and make sure you're okay? Same thing. I know teachers can teach very full timetables. I know that there's often not that much time in the day between lessons and everything. But if it matters to you, I think you'll make time for it. And you need to pick your kind of highest leverage kids as well. You need to be strategic. It makes more sense to show an abundance of care to the student that maybe is causing more of the issues. Because if you can get that relationship, they're going to cause you less issues. I'm, I'm, if they know you care about them and that you've got your, their best interests at heart, I think they're going to cause fewer issues. Not just going to flick a switch and get in, happen overnight, because they probably got habits and reputations that they've built up for themselves and they find it hard to shake. But showing that you care make, takes two minutes, five minutes. Go out into, they always say, oh, go and have a word with them in the courtyard or the playground. That's not just always a chit chat. That's a conversation like, how's it going today? You look, I noticed yesterday you looked a bit down. Anything happening at home, like anything going on that you want to speak about? If not right now, cool. But if you do and ever want to speak to me, then come and, come and find me, you know where I am, that kind of thing. Even if you leave it at that and the kid doesn't say much, guarantee that will stick in their mind for a while, if not for forever, forever, and ever, ever, forever, ever. Anyways, <clears throat> so Tom, that's what Tommy's saying, little small interactions. Um, Miss, Mrs. O. Maths has said, I think SLT would look at me funny if I asked them to stay in the room whilst I talk to kid outside. Most staff would just have the chat outside and leave the class alone for a bit. Interesting. Maybe, but that's a culture thing, isn't it? I guess. I think that's a, but then what I'm trying to say is then you need to, I think you need to flip the script. If you understand why my argument is that if you've got an issue, if the kid has caused an issue in your classroom, you are best placed as the teacher to first know what happened, to secondly know what they should have been doing at the time, to third, to know what your interactions have been, and so on and so forth. So you're best placed to rebuild that. I think if that's a thing, you need to, you, there's SLT, don't, there's no, there's no rule that says you can't take to SLT. Do you know what? Excuse me, um, sir or mister, whoever. Can you just go in the classroom, set your class off, by the way, and say, right, get on with X question for the next two minutes. Say, can you know what? Can you just stand in that classroom? I'd really like to speak to this person outside and I just need you to stand in the classroom. Maybe SLT will look at you funny, but who are you in school for? You're not in school for SLT. You're in school for kids. So I don't, personally, I wouldn't care if SLT looked at me funny. I'm a member of SLT, but I wouldn't care if SLT looked to be funny because I'm not here for you. I'm here for the kids. So I'm going to ask you politely to stand in the room and I want to talk to the child, please, because I really, I just want to unpick this really quickly and hear their side of things first and foremost, and then tell them or have a discussion about what needs to happen next to make sure we can move on positively. So I'm not here for SLT. That's my response. That's my response. That's my response on that one. Um, I'd still do it. I'd still do it. Um, we've got Dale. I feel like Dale, you've been in the studio before. Welcome. Um, yes, this, this is this Dale has said so important. 
that the children know what you expect of them. Body language is key for positives and negatives. If you're trying to build a relationship, but also you're trying to, I don't know, classroom manage, if all you're doing is telling kids what not to do, then why are you surprised that they're still not doing what you asked them? What? Why are you surprised they're still not doing what you want them to do if you're only telling them what not to do? Don't talk. Don't turn around. Don't do this. Don't call out. Don't do this. Like if a kid, if a kid calls out in my lesson, for example, telling them don't call out, they'll be like, okay. But you assume that they therefore know what you want them to do. And I know most kids do when they get to whatever age, but instead of being negative, and a kid's call out, thank, listen, thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you. But next time, if you have a point, raise your hand, wait in silence, and I'll come to you. Move on. Don't even, don't even respond to their, their kind of call out question. What you've done is you've retrained them in a positive way. If they've called out and you say, don't call out, I know all of us can do it on a kind of a, on a trigger, trigger thing. You just don't think, just, oh, don't call out kind of thing. Oh, what have I told you? How many times have I told you not to call out? <laughs> How many times? Like, that's so negative. That, and it makes it so personal as well. How many times have I told you not to call out? It makes it so personal. But instead, kid calls out, nonverbal. I'm doing a nonverbal at the moment. You guys can't see it. I'm doing a nonverbal hand raise, hand to the mouth kind of thing. Nonverbal. Next time, thank you. Listen, I'm glad you want to take part and I'm glad you're enthusiastic. But next time, raise your hand just so I can make sure everyone has a fair chance to contribute. Okay, thank you. Cool. Move on. That is a much better way to not only behavior manage, but also to build positive relations with your students. So they realize that all you're doing is trying to train them to be better. You know they can do the right thing. So I'm just going to, you just need reminders. I know you want to do the right thing, but you've just kind of got a bit carried away. So let me just remind you of what I want you to do. If they do the same thing again, another reminder. If they do the same thing again, maybe you're getting into a point where maybe they're just trying to be defiant and you might have to switch it up a little bit and show them you're not a mug. Maybe you might get to that point, but I think you assume the best, you assume the best, you assume the best in your interactions. You assume they want to do the right thing. They just need a little bit more guidance because some kids need more support than others to do the right thing. So assume they want to do the right thing and you'll promote a more positive culture in the room as opposed to first and foremost, assuming they're just trying to be disruptive. A disruptive kid, assume they're actually trying to do the right thing, but they need more support. That's another um, pointer on that. Thank you um, for Dale inspiring that rant of mine. Um, Dale's also said body language is key for positives and negatives. Agreed. The amount of times I've seen teachers have um, negative interactions outside the classroom and they're so proximate to the kid in a really like, um, and they've got arms folded, for example, and they're really like standing up straight, arms folded, arms open is a much more welcoming stance, even when things are being negative. And then that will, in turn, when you open your arms, you often ask how questions or you often ask more open questions as opposed to arms folded, body closed. I'm going to close off emotionally to you as your teacher. That's not going to get a kid to be inspired to do the right thing. Yeah, and if a kid has misbehaved, the first question I ask a child if they've if I sent them out is either what happened, what's going on, or whatever else. More open question, what happened just then, as opposed to I told you, da 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 da, body body blah, da 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 da, and you didn't do it. Just ask them what happened there, and they'll be like, ah, oh, you know what, like man didn't do da 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 da. You say right, what did I ask you to do? Yeah, like you told me to do it. Right, why did I ask you to do that? Because blah blah blah, much more positive conversation, as opposed to why did I send you out? Like, come on, man, just ask them what happened. Kids are bright enough and more clued on enough to know what happened. Just let them speak. 
let him speak. And then you need to listen. Maybe something happened that you missed. Maybe someone turned around and gave them a little signal, made them laugh, or I don't know, worse, put a swear word on their whiteboard or custom. You never saw that. And the kids just responded and you've only seen the response. And then you tried to sanction the response. Maybe you missed the first bit. So let them speak is my advice as well on that one. Oh, I feel very impassioned about all this kind of stuff. Um, right, Seema, thank you for liking the show. Please, if you do enjoy the show and you're on kind of social media, you can share it straight onto um, Twitter and your socials by clicking the little share box. Um, you can also call in. I'm about to take a little break so I can have some, I would say some water, but I've got no water here. Maybe my partner who's in the, she might be in the studio, might be able to uh, deliver me some, uh, some water as well. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, because I'm going to take a little break. And on the other side, if you want to call in, please do. It's a live talk show. It'd be great to bounce off ideas with someone else about, again, how to build positive relationships with students and also um, just low-level disruptions well I want to talk about. But they, um, but yeah. So thank you. Karen's been in the chat. Karen's saying, yeah, more of a one-to-one -one situation. Then she just came in with loads of ad-libs. <laughs> I don't know when the ad-libs came in, Karen, but I appreciate them. Karen came in with an ad-lib of word, facts, um, exactly. Um, and that kind of, I like how eager you are. I like how, I love how eager you are to participate, but, um, and also, do you know why you're here? Indeed, it's a nice one, why are you here? But then the, the kid can go, no. And then obviously you can, but you've given them an opportunity. Yeah, kids need an opportunity to speak just like adults do. So give them that rather than cutting them off and this whole don't answer me back. I hate, oh my word. I can, what even is answering back? Can someone please clarify this to me, please? The amount of time when teachers ask, like, say things and the kid disagrees and the kid, the kid just kind of responds at the time as people often do, as adults do. If you have, if someone says something and you fervently disagree with it, often you don't wait for them to then say three, four more sentences before responding. Often you just come in and say, hold on, what, but what, huh, huh? that's what we do naturally. But for some reason, when we have interactions with kids and we say something that may not have been true or may not have been right as far as the kid's concerned, and they may politely just kind of butt in and say, hold on, I don't think that's, that's not what happened. And the teacher goes, don't ask me back. Come on, man. Come on. I, it really, really grates me because we do it as adults and we don't say to adults, don't ask me back. But for some reason, we, we elevate ourselves to a position where we say something and we expect the kids to just kind of stand there. Yes, you have to train them to give themselves the best chance of not making the situation worse. But someone tell me what answering back is when the kid might just have interrupted you because you said something they disagreed with, um, which is where it makes more sense to let the kid speak first. Ask them what happened because they may tell you something you didn't know. And then once they've told you everything, then as a teacher, you may be able to then say what you want them to do on entrance back to the classroom. No point dwelling on what happened. You might as well agree on what's gonna happen when they come back in the room because you ain't gonna be able to change what happened. So let's think forward and think, right, cool. We understand that's what happened. Maybe I had to dish out a sanction for it for whatever reason. Now we've got 30 minutes left of the lesson. What, what are we gonna do? We're learning about this. I think you can really get it. I'll even come and work with you in the next five minutes when I set the class off because I know you missed it a little bit. Maybe because the kid was messing about. I know you missed it a little bit. Not saying I know you're messing about. I know you missed the learning a little bit. I'm going to come and work with you. Framing it positively. When you start doing this consciously, it will then become the norm. But it's something that we all fall into. We say, I know you were messing about. You've been messing about, so you've missed work. 
no, 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 you just missed work. I'm going to come and work with you. Yeah, five minutes. Just sit there, be patient. I'll come work with you. Right, I've rambled on for 18 pages front and back. It's time to hear from our sponsors and it's time for the news. It's time to get um, a cup of tea if you eat, if you drink tea or a coffee. And on the other side, we'll come back and get back into this. Zoe, thank you for joining. Someone called Butters has entered the studio, which is quite funny. Um, I don't think you mean the slang term. And also Michael, thank you for joining. On the other side of the adverts, we'll get back into positive relationships and dealing with that and low level disruption as well. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In a press release issued today, the UK government announces new expert attendance advisors are to begin work to reduce pupil absence. The advisors are described as having decades of first-hand experience and will work with local authorities and multi-academy trusts who have been identified as having the potential to benefit from support. The Department for Education has also identified schools with some of the greatest decreases in absence rates over a five-year period prior to the pandemic and invited them to share their approach with other schools in the coming weeks and months. Schools Minister Robin Walker said in the statement the department is channeling all its efforts to provide support and guidance to help schools and trusts to take action to increase attendance. He did, however, also recognise that COVID is still with us and is causing some unavoidable absence, but that this made it even more important to take action to address avoidable absence from school. The press release outlined that the new advisers would draw on their expertise as former head teachers and local authority leaders to support with approaches tailored to schools' individual needs. This could include advice on how data and partnership working could improve or how local authorities can make sure all parts of their services are focused on breaking down the barriers to attendance. In the northeast of England, the Evening Chronicle reports that automotive giant Nissan has used evidence to a House of Lords Committee on Youth and Employment to highlight what it sees as shortfalls in the national curriculum. The report states that Nissan has hit out at the disastrous education system in the UK, which it says does not equip young people for jobs in manufacturing and engineering. The House of Lords Committee has sent a long list of recommendations to the government to tackle what it calls a blight on our society. This includes a call for the appointment of a young people's commissioner to champion the voice of people aged 16 to 24. The committee also highlights the UK youth unemployment rate, which, at 11.7%, is worse than many other comparable countries, and added that 70% of job losses during the pandemic were of people under the age of 25. In a statement, the chair of the committee, Lord Shipley, said, Our report is about harnessing the talents of every young person and giving them the skills they need to get a good job and a sustainable career. Finally, with the Christmas break approaching, head teachers are reported in an article in the Eye to be calling the request to set up COVID-19 testing stations in schools not reasonable. They say government have left schools with too little time to order test kits to be used upon the return of pupils after the Christmas break. The request came in an email from the Department for Education on Friday, with a deadline for ordering tests set for Tuesday next week. 
Julie McCulloch, Director of Policy at the Teaching Union ASCOL, said that whilst testing was important in reducing the risk of transmission of the virus, the responsibility for managing the testing should shift to public health authorities with schools limited to providing space for test centres and communicating with students. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon, I nearly forgot to take myself back off mute. It is 1.53 on Sunday the 28th of November and you're still tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. It is a pastoral CPD clinic, the first of many, hopefully. We're talking about building positive relationships. We're also talking about how to counteract low-level disruption in the classroom. The two are inextricably linked. Tune in and talk it out. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. You'll be very happy to know that I got my glass of water delivered. So shout out to, to the wonderful partner of mine that's listening and she was paying attention clearly. <laughs> that's that's a test of whether she was actually listening or not but yeah um i in the other well i say in other literally in other news um i also had an article sent to me because what joe was speaking about in kenya i found an article well, i say i found an article sent to me again by my partner um and just if you're wondering so this article was released on november the 9th so we're talking start of this month essentially and at that point it says in nairobi uh, 35, an estimated 35 schools across Kenya were set on fire in the last month. Um, and yeah, being set on fire by students and it's saying that any student caught in the act of arson will be locked out of the education. Wow. Any student caught in an act of arson will be locked out of the education system. I'm assuming that that's for, wow. That's a bold, bold statement. Um, I'm not going to be able to read the entire thing. I'm trying to work out what the justification given. Um, and I'm reading as I'm on, pod, on on a podcast, which is a weird thing to do. You No, I can't. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. There's a quote that says, there are a number of students who have already been sent out of school in the form of suspension. Um, these students have been kept out of school for quite a long time. Uh, these students who are out there feel so bitter that our colleagues in the school are learning. And whereas we are given a definite suspension so they can feel the pinch we are feeling. Then they come up and organize for the fires. So that makes it seem like those students doing the fire, doing the fire, setting the schools on fire may have already been excluded from school. I'm not sure. Do your research, look into it. 
there's a whole bunch of madness going on in Kenya that does put things into perspective here. Right, let's get back to what I was talking about. So if you've just joined, thank you. Don't know where you've been, but you can listen back. And if you want to listen back to any of the shows on Teachers Talk Radio, you can head to Podbean. Podbean downloads the shows automatically. You can listen back on that platform or you can listen back on Spotify or you can head to ttradio.org forward slash listen back. And if you think, oh, I like this Khalil guy, I want to listen to his shows more, just have to search my name, um, which is K-A-L-I-L, or you can just listen to all the wonderful shows we've got on Teachers Talk Radio, an abundance of topics for everyone's interest. But if you don't know anything about me, I'm very interested in the pastoral world and the softer side of education. Of course, I like to teach and I enjoy the pedagogical side, but the pastoral side is where my, my passions lie. Now, let's talk about how we can, another way that I think doesn't get sold enough and often is something that comes naturally to some teachers, but isn't explicitly um, recommended to others because it is something that does come, it is something that's very difficult to fake. And this is, first of all, teaching with enthusiasm and passion. And second of all, it's incorporating humor into the lesson. I think both of these things are a great way to foster positive relationships with students in the classroom. I personally, whenever I'm thinking of teaching a topic, I think, right, how am I going to even deliver this in a way that makes it seem like it's the most interesting thing they're going to learn about today? How am I going to do that? Because kids, like, kids have, what, five, six lessons a day? If all they hear is teachers drone on about things and not even talking, a teacher's not even talking about them in a way that makes them seem remotely interesting, then why do you expect kids to pay attention? I'd like, just what, pay attention for paying attention's sake? You need to make it seem like what they're about to learn or what they're doing is the most like fascinating thing that they're going to learn today. If all teachers do that, you're going to get a lot more buy-in from kids. When you walk past and see teacher, maybe not, maybe teaching in a kind of more monotone, um, just kind of talking at them, the kids kind of just sitting there listening quite passively, I imagine. Um, but you need, when you're a teacher, you're on stage. You're on stage, like you need to, I always feel like I'm on stage and I feel like I'm, I'm doing a performance. And if you're on a stage, you need to captivate your audience. You can't just go there and just speak and expect them to be interested. We as teachers know full well that when someone comes in and does a CPD session on something and all they do is talk at us and they're not captivating, they're not interesting, they don't really laugh at any point, we zone out as adults and we're grown people and we're zoning out. You expect a 14, 15, 13 year old not to zone out when all you're doing is droning on. So it is, the thing is though, it is something that I know does come naturally to more people than others, but I also think it needs to be specifically told to someone or kind of encouraged to say, right, that your delivery of content needs to be more interesting. I don't know how to phrase it, but that had been, with that it sounded quite harsh, but I feel like I wish I could say to teachers that I've previously worked with, just deliver your content in a way that sounds more interesting. Speak about it like it's really interesting. Genuinely, like you're, what you're teaching, they will only ever hear this from you at this moment. So make it really interesting. I teach what? Pythagoras' theorem. That is dead. Pythagoras' theorem is a dead topic. You're working out sight lengths of a triangle. What is the, like, think about it. Why would a kid, why would a kid want to know that? So instead, you're like, you know what? Listen, someone, I don't know how many centuries ago, worked out that you, if you know two sides, if you know two sides of a right-angle triangle, you can somehow work out a third side without a ruler. How mad is that? I'm not saying the kids are all going to go, whoa, that's mad. But 
the fact that you're that they will recognize that you're trying to make it seem interesting and even that will will make them feel oh sir or, or miss really cares about trying to make this interesting and and even if you're smiling when you're doing it that's gonna be infectious so there's me trying to jazz up Pythagoras' theorem and trigonometry. What? Soccer t- Listen, sin, cause, and tan allows you to work out side lengths of a triangle just from angles and one side? That is mad. Can you imagine? How do they even come up with that stuff? That is crazy. We're now going to learn how to do it. So pay attention. I'll teach you how to do it. And that's how I would deliver it. I know it takes a lot of energy and you end up in a lesson like, woof, that was tiring. But I guarantee, well, guarantee is a strong word. I very much... Um, I'm of the opinion that if you consciously think of delivering your content in a way that's enthusiastic and is passionate, that will radiate through to your students. And if you get them involved in discussions about it, then that's going, they're going to be more involved. And if they're more involved, they pay more attention. If they pay more attention, they learn more. If they know more, they're empowered to then be autonomous when it's time to do the independent work. Woo, that's a phrase. Someone write that one down and tweet it for me. Um, but yeah, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about that. And also, I'm going to get to comments in a moment. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Humor. Humor. Some teachers... So I find, maybe you guys find as well, I feel like teachers are afraid, not afraid, are wary of letting the laughter happen or even more so laughing with the students when things are funny. I feel like, why is that though? Can someone try to explain in the chat? Why is that? It's definitely a thing. It's definitely a thing. If something is genuinely, if something funny has genuinely happened in the classroom that was, I don't know, out of the teacher's control. I don't know, let me think of an example. I don't know, maybe outside the classroom, another, oh, I can't think of a good example. Someone think of a good example where something funny has happened that's not inappropriate, that's fully appropriate, just out of the blue, have, oh, I don't know, maybe something outside the classroom, you can overhear uh, a stranger or passerby walking past the classroom, they've done or said something funny, and it's therefore caused students to laugh about it. Let them laugh, it is funny. Even better, laugh yourself if you found it funny. And let them see that you're human. Don't do that thing where you're now sanctioning kids because they're finding it funny because you're telling them to stop laughing. Because I'll tell you one thing, the worst thing to do when someone's laughing is to tell them to stop laughing because all that does is make them laugh more. All it does is make them laugh more. Same thing, man. Let them laugh with the students when it's funny. If it's inappropriate and someone's made a joke and it was, I don't know, a crass joke or a rude joke and everyone's laughing about it and you know it's not something to laugh at, cool. But you still, if they're laughing, you may have to like send this child out, whatever else. But trying to tell kids to stop laughing when they're laughing is not how you get kids to stop laughing, just for the record. Being silent and showing them that you just want them to now be silent and settle is a good way of doing it. Or maybe asking them to just, you know what, take some moment outside, recompose yourself. And when you're ready, you'll be able to come back in. Taking that approach is better than stop laughing, please. It's not funny. Because clearly it was funny. So don't tell people it wasn't funny. But... If it was inappropriate, obviously you can't laugh about it. But I think you need to deal with it in a way that lowers the tone in terms of calm, brings it more calm to the room rather than adding to it with more interactions, telling them to stop laughing and so on and so forth. Right, loads of comments coming in. Hopefully I've got people disagreeing or agreeing, who knows. And if you want to call in at any time, please do this a live talk show. I've been talking nonstop for about an hour. Um, so Zoe, who is one of our fellow hosts, actually did a show. Zoe, when we just show? I feel like the show was yesterday. They had a show yesterday um, with, so please do check that one out as well. Um, Zoe's saying, 
it's the same. This is when something I was speaking about earlier. She said, it's the same as with staff. Be interested in them as people. They know when you notice who they are and care about them. Even the little things agreed. Same as what Tommy was saying. Um, just the little things. If something like, if someone told you, if you find out, I don't know, maybe you made a deliberate decision to talk to a kid who's caused an issue to find out what they're doing in the weekend. And they told you, oh yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go visit so-and-so this weekend. If this is a kid that I'm trying to build a relationship with, I'm going to make a conscious decision. I might even set a calendar reminder to go back on the Monday morning, find that kid in the, in the playground and say, oh, how was your, uh, your trip to go see your, your nan? Because I guarantee that kid will be like, whoa, you remembered. They might not say that to you. They'll just be like, oh yeah, it's all right still. They might just send that and then move on. But I guarantee back of their mind, they're thinking, oh wow, they remembered. And they know that you care and so on and so forth. Um, Zoe Zen said, my subject is fascinating. I find it fascinating. So how could they not? But that's the thing. If you agree, but there, I think Zoe, there's a lot of people who know that find their subject like geography fascinating, but it sometimes doesn't radiate through their delivery. It might radiate through like the things that they get the kids to look at, but just the tone of voice in how you deliver it. If you deliver it performatively, that will obviously that feels more passionate and more than makes the, the fascination you had for your subject radiate through and shine through. Um, definitely. You need, there's no point trying to teach something you're not interested in um, because the kids will suss that out. If you're not interested, they ain't interested. Don't be surprised if they're then disruptive. Um, then Christian's come, Christian, you've been, you've been quiet this session. You've come in now. Christian said, I would say, use your whole environment. So you're teaching Pythagoras, enable students autonomy by measuring objects within the classroom and also in the school, make it competitive, agreed. Just whip up some, some energy in the room. People, again, I think teachers are a little bit wary of an energetic classroom. I get it. Cause it may sound at me, if you're not confident that you'll be able to get them back to refocus. And I can understand why people may want to be a bit wary of creating energy. Um, but yeah, so I guess I agree with you. Make it competitive, make them, get them up out of their seat. What did I do? What did I do once? We had to do, um, I think I taught the median. I'm talking about maths, I'm a maths teacher. The median, oh my word. Put them in order, find the number in the middle. That is dead. It's dead. But I was thinking, right, I've got a group that don't just learn things for learning's sake. They need to be engaged in it, right? How can I get them to do learn about the median without it sounding just boring and them just getting lost in it? Well, not lost in it, but just losing interest. So instead, what I did, this was back in my previous school, um, I gave them, they used their whiteboards and I got them, and it was a competition. They, I told them which numbers to write in on their whiteboards and then they had to get themselves in order and they were allowed to stand up and move around and then they had to discuss and work out the median that way. That got them hooked and it got them to really understand what the median was. And then when I set them off on independent silent work, they knew what they were doing and they were actually more engaged and they bought, they bought into the lesson. So they were much more likely to therefore actually work when I'd asked them to work because they'd realized that I'd allowed them to be more creative and energetic. And then I said, right, we've had our time. I, and I narrated the lesson. I said, right, you just had your time. You had about 10, 15 minutes of quite active, energetic work. I hope you've understood what the median is. You really get it. Wonderful. Now you need to demonstrate that independently. So that means I need to see what you know. And we know that people focus best when there's got no distractions. So what I need from everyone for the next, and I timed it next 10 minutes, is silent focus work on this worksheet. If you're stuck, you raise your hand. So the only time I should do communication is either you raise your hand because you're stuck. That's, do you know what? That's actually it. That's it. Or it's an emergency. That's it. 
And I narrated that and I said, 10 minutes, go. The buy-in was much better than if I just tried to teach them a dead median lesson and then say, right, off you go, now do it because maybe they weren't as bought in. But I get you can't do that all the time. But if you consciously try to do it, sometimes the kids realize you're going beyond for them and they buy in. And again, it will build positive relationships to, to springboard better teaching and learning. Um, Zoe said, no idea. I can't put this in the response to you now, but we giggled a lot through my lessons. Indeed, I laugh all the time. I laugh more than the kids sometimes um, when something's really funny. I laugh myself, but I think they like that um, as well. So don't be afraid of laughing and showing that you're, you're human. You find things funny. Um, Miss, yeah, Miss, Mrs. O'Math said, I used to feel like you. Um, yeah, so Mrs. O'Math said, I used to feel like you had to get them back on task ASAP. Now I just join in. Thank good. 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 Go and be merry for two minutes. That is that pressure, isn't it? It's that pressure of, uh, uh, we can't have too much laughter in the classroom. They need to be learning. What if someone walks in and they think I haven't been teaching them for two minutes? Nonsense. Chill out. Chill out. If something is genuinely funny, then let the laughter breathe because eventually people will calm down and then you'll be like, right, cool. That was funny. I appreciate that. Now let's move on. That is better than, right, guys, come on, come on, come on. Stop laughing. Stop laughing. It wasn't that funny. It wasn't that funny. Stand outside. Like, come on, man. People are just going to laugh more. It's going to create more noise in the classroom and it creates more energy, positive or negative. It creates more energy for kids to bounce off. And then the more noise you make, the more little kids do that whole kind of thing where they make that, that additional comment to then set everyone off again. So if it was actually funny, laugh. If it wasn't funny in the professional sense, then my advice is exude calm and exude composure and if you need some if you need to take a little moment to walk over to a kid that's busting up and say Do you know what take some time outside recompose yourself and i'll chat to you out there kind of thing as opposed to front of the class you at the back stop laughing because all that does is draw more attention to it and the kids just now on stage you're no longer on stage the kids on stage so now they've got to maintain their own reputation in that situation um yeah so then yeah karen said teaching is acting may it's acting all the time all the time. Um, when I say national, let me not lie. Sometimes you're being genuine, but I think sometimes you need to over-egg the pudding just to make things more interesting. Um, and also you have to act like, you know when something was inappropriate, but it was actually funny? That Those are difficult situations. Those are difficult situations. When the comment was inappropriate, I'm not talking like rude or racist or abusive, but just a cuss maybe. Um, and the cuss was funny, but that's that's the biggest that's the biggest test man. that's the biggest test when someone has cussed someone and it was actually funny but it wasn't it wasn't really rude or swearing but you can't laugh at it because you're a teacher you can't laugh at someone being cussed that's difficult that's where you need some you need to some composure um yeah that's tough i don't have advice for that you need to trade <laughs> i don't have advice for that <laughs> you can't laugh in that situation um i had that once when was it um in my previous it's always in my previous school i think someone they had a yeah towards the end of the lesson i think someone had said something and they just said they brought something in from the playground and it was clear the two and i sussed really quick that two weren't getting on and i think someone cussed someone i can't remember what they said and um i focused more on politely telling the cusser to leave the classroom rather than uh, yeah focus more on that and I did it politely rather than shouting. Because if you shout and say, leave now, all you've done is given them again a platform to respond and a platform to retaliate and a platform to reflect the energy that you've then given off. So instead, if you want them to leave calmly, talk to them calmly. 
don't talk to them in a way that they're now going to bounce off and then give you fire back with fire in an already volatile situation. So be mindful of that. Um, yeah, and Zoe's agreed with teaching, being an acting and laughing at yourself. That definitely wasn't everyday feature. Yeah, listen, I laugh myself all the time. I don't take myself seriously um, at times, but then I can flick a switch and then I can be the most serious person in the world. Okay, um, thank you for your participation so far, and I much appreciate. It. I hope you've, um, if you maybe haven't got much from it, because maybe this is already you. Hopefully, you've enjoyed hearing me. And if you want to take part, as always, please do call in. It is a live talk show as always um another thing so what have i got next i've got this article as always um and this article that i've had open for the whole time is called six strategies for building better student relationships and it was written back in 2019 and let's see what they say so this is written by someone called oh wow how do you pronounce that name sis can't be sicily i'm going to type the name in the chat oh you guys won't be able to call in someone it says but the name is spelled like this um, that's either C-I-C-E-L-Y, that's either Sicily, like the country or the island. I don't know what that word is. I don't know what the name is. Either way, it's written by this person. I don't know if it's a man or, or a woman, but there, I think it was, it's just, yeah, it's about building positive relationships. And what they've said is, um, oh, first and foremost, is obvious. I'm not going to dwell on this. They talk about learning names. That's too obvious. Um, that's too obvious. Next one is talking about, I think it's for, more to primary school maybe, or oh, seating plans, seating plans, seating plans, seating plans. Oh, these are, a, these are, a, ah, like Whitney's mum. Yes, that'd be how you said it. So Mrs. Owens said you would pronounce it Sicily. Um, thank you, Karen, for affirming. Like Whitney's mum. I'm, I'm assuming talking about Whitney Houston's mum. You realise if I don't know who Whitney Houston's mum is, then that reference doesn't help me. Just for the record. I have no idea who Whitney Houston's mum is. But I'm assuming it's Sicily Houston or Sicily something. But thank you for affirming. But I had no idea who that is. So telling me it's Whitney Houston. <laughs> telling me it's Whitney Houston's mum is... You could have said, it's Sicily like Cicely Woodward who wrote the article. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Seaton plants. Let me know in the chat, what's your strategy if you have... A kid or kids. Let's say, what's an average number of kids that can cause low-level disruption in a classroom, in a normal-ish school? Let's say three, four? Three, four, maybe? Um, where do you seek them? What's your strategy? Because I am, well, I'm realizing that my strategy is different to some teachers in my school and also in previous schools. So let me know where you do, you guys first. You've got, let's go for a realistic two or three kids who are more prone, more energetic, a bit more lively, a bit more of a class clown, where do you put them in the classroom? Two or three. There's no point saying that there's six or seven because that just becomes a difficult task. But where do you seat those two or three that you know are more prone to being the class clowns or for being the one who likes to make a little comment and get people to laugh and likes to distract others and so on? Where do you put them? Type in the chat, please. I want to get someone to type in the chat before I say what I do, just to see if anyone's on the same wavelength as me. Um, interesting. So we've got Zoe said corners possibly, but depends on them. Then sometimes at the front. So I'm assuming you're, you're assuming, are you including back corners then, Zoe? I'm assuming. Um, Karen's saying back left. <laughs> I love Karen specifically back left, not back right, back left. So Karen's saying back left, front, middle, middle, right. I can picture that. I'm doing it with my hands. Back left, 
front middle, front and center middle, and then middle on the right. So you've got a kind of scaling triangle of of kids. Okay, cool. Um, if they don't have any specific needs and spread them out, agree, but spread them out where is my question. Of course, you need to spread them out. You're not going to sit your... I've, I used to go into lessons where they used to sit all the naughty kids at the front. I say naughty, I hate that word. All the kind of kids that require more support with their behavior, I'm being politically correct here, um, at the front. I went into class and I saw that all at the front, like it's a, like they're front, front and center of, a, of, a, of the cinema. And they're just all there being like, right, got to put them in the front so I can keep an eye on them. That's the logic often. I don't agree. I don't agree. I personally back corners. Personally back corners. Um, first, my first port of call is at the back, personally. And when often people hear this, go, oh, but then you can't really, they can just get up to all kind of nonsense at the back because you're not going to be able to see what they're doing. I say, yes, true. But also, not everyone else in the classroom can see what they're doing. If you put your, your most class clowny style child at the front, they are on stage. And I know sometimes if they have specific needs, maybe you do need them really accessible to you so that you can actually support them academically. But if it's a child who maybe doesn't have specific educational needs, is just a little bit of a class clown, put them where the fewest number of kids can see them. Because we all know you put that kid at the front, all the classes behind them, their first instinct is to see who's looking and they want to be on the half turn. They don't want to put their legs under the desk. They want to be in the half turn. They want to be, they want to make eye contact with someone behind them so that they can get that reciprocal eye contact to make a little joke and make a little smirk. Take them out of the stage, take them out of the limelight, put them at the back is my advice. People may disagree, which is cool, but my advice is put them at the back unless they've got specific learning needs. Not just put them at the back, surround them with a kind of nice little hoop or circle of the quietest of the quietest, most sensible kids that are the most mature and won't even give them the time of day. My seating plan used to be like class clown surrounded by three or four of the most sensible, mature, I even got time for you kids. Other side, I know that you'll think, ah, oh, but it's harsh on them, blood. Yes, I get that. But you need to think about the whole class in general. And I believe Yes, those kids who have to sit next to the, the class clown student may feel like, oh, I'm being, inverted commas, punished for being a, inverted commas, good student. But everyone, I think, benefits from taking that, that young person off centre stage. So for me, back corners. Obviously, if you've got loads, don't all seat them at the back. And you also don't want to have, like, enough so they can have the lateral... Um, peripheral vision so that you know a bit where they they peer across the classroom to make eye contact with their mate who's already in the corner so there is a bit of strategy to it but towards the back has always been my go-to um, because I've found that when they're at the front all they want to do is turn around all they want to do is turn around and because it's more interesting to see what but then they're on stage and I know I'm rambling so I'm gonna look at the comments <clears throat> right yeah so Karen said um, Karen said but other yeah so in response to Karen, she said, I have one back left, front, middle, mid, right, but otherwise at the back, as they don't have an audience, and I can go chat to them at the back. Agreed. It's about, the, for me, it's about the audience. Um, Zoe said, front lets me have non-verbal reminders. Harder to turn, but that's her setup. I agree with the non-verbals. You, you know that little tap on the desk? When they're right at the front, they just need a little tap on the desk to re... I get that. If it's a kid who um, loses focus quickly, then I can understand. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I'm not saying as as... 
um, as serious, more serious, as severe as maybe ADHD, but someone who needs refocusing, then yes, the little tap on the desk, the little tap, 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 the little non-verbal is more beneficial at the front, agreed. Um, but if it's someone who likes an audience, then I'd put them at the back, personally. Um, then Dale's come in. Dale says, I agree with back corners. I've very recently done this with a couple of kids in my middle set year nine, working a treat so far, and some quietly confident kids now sat at the front. Yeah, agreed. It makes that little seating plans, a little tweak can make such a difference. So I'd always, whenever I've got kids, not kids, teachers, maybe with some like low level disruption issues, and I look at the kids in the class and I'm like, oh, where are you seating so-and-so? More often than not, they're telling me, oh, I sit them at the front so I can just keep an eye on them. And I say, oh, what happens when, and I just say, oh, what happens? All they want to do is turn around. Right, well, huh, if that's the main issue, prevent them from turning around. And that's not tell them to face forward, that's put nothing behind them. So there's nothing to turn around for. If everyone, if all they see is the backs of heads, and you tell your class to have all eyes on you, all they see is a back of heads and no one's going to look at them. That's a much more beneficial seating for both them and also for the rest of the class. So I do, if you are listening to this and you've got someone who's caused a bit of an issue and they're at the front of the classroom, just try it. Sit them at the back, back corner and surround them with mature people who are less likely to even bounce or show them the time of day. That's my advice. If they're going to then resort to like, across the classroom nonsense, then that's a separate issue. And that has to be dealt with in a kind of, that's where you come to the relationships. Because I don't think, bold statement here, I don't think most kids don't want to undermine the authority of teachers they actually get along quite well with. They don't want to, maybe they, maybe they do things that's, they like really um, trigger happy and they can't really control it sometimes. But I think most kids, if they've got time for you and they respect you and they inverted commas like you as a teacher won't consciously do things to undermine your authority i don't think that comes back to like rudeness for example i don't think most kids are rude to staff they have a relationship with unless they're in like a, a crisis state um but i think yeah i think if you've their relationships come i think relationships are fundamental to that it's not going to fix every issue but it is one of the main ones to fix definitely um, thank you for liking the show. Thank you everyone for all your feedback. We've actually not got too much longer on this. Um, so if I go back to the article, because the reason I spoke about seating plans is this article mentioned assigning seats and also it said changing seats. Um, I admit I don't do that often unless it's little tweaks. And I like to do the live tweak in the lesson. If someone's just that, I just do a little swap, little swap. Why? If a kid is sitting there having a hard time in a particular seat because they keep turning and chatting to someone for some reason, instead of trying to just tell them off or tell them the right thing to do, move the seat and prevent them from having the ease of eye contact. I know it can be a bit, a bit of an issue if you've got a full class, I get that. But even if it's a next lesson thing, quick swap and tell them about it. I'm just trying to make sure that I want you to focus. I've seen you've had the little eye contact. You want to have a little, a little um, glance at so-and-so in the corner. I just want you to focus so you can learn and do well. So I've done a little tweak and you're going to be sitting here from now on. So let me know how that is, but I think it's going to really benefit you. Frame it positively rather than you mucked about last lesson, now you're going to move as a punishment. Because then all you're going to get is fire with fire and a pushback. Frame it positively. Every change you've made is to make sure they have the best chance of success in the classroom. So you frame it like that, even if they know it was done because they mucked about. They'll know it's because they mucked about, but I'm doing it because I now want you to do better. So I'm going to move you so you can focus and you have a better chance of success and so on. Um, 
The next one it mentions, and this is something that people have spoken about. It says find small ways to connect. Um, and the last one, which I want to talk about is simply listen. Listen, be a listener sometimes. And I'm going to end talking about restorative conversations and listening is a massive part of restorative conversations. Because as I said at the start of the show, if you're using your restorative conversation just to tell them again what they did wrong, then you're not restoring anything. A restorative conversation should be a mutual conversation. And I believe by the end, the teacher, regardless of maybe whether it was all the kid, maybe it was all the kid and you did absolutely nothing wrong as a teacher, it was all the kid, I think you should still find a way to say, do you know what? I'm, as a teacher, I'm going to try and do this a bit more for you, or I'm going to try and do this a bit more. Give and take. Yeah, don't just take from the child and say, you now need to do this and you now need to do this. You need to give a little as well. You need to model that we're going to make a compromise, well, not reach a compromise. We're going to make an agreement that I'm going to do a bit more of this and you're going to try to do a bit more of this. That's a better way of, that's a better goal for a restorative conversation. Also, agree on what you want the kid to do in the lesson next time, but they need to feel part of that. It can't just be, you now need to do it because I said so. Cool, off you go. I'll see you next lesson because that won't work. Also, the start of a restorative conversation is very important and it should be coming from the child. It should be a platform for the child to then reflect, the child to speak about what happened, the child to maybe come to their own conclusions about what went wrong and what they need to do better. Because most of the time they're able to, they just need to be probed in the right way with the questions. Yeah, children know what we expect of them. They're not daft but they just need the platform sometimes. And maybe they'll tell you something that you never knew happened in the lesson and that will provide a bit more clarity. Or maybe they were just stuck and they just didn't tell you that they were stuck and instead they just mucked about. That's often, the most often caught, most prominent cause of misbehavior, low level disruption that is, I guess, is not really knowing what's going on with the work. And that could have been caused by disruption earlier in the lesson, but just sanctioning them for now mucking about because they mucked about earlier isn't going to solve the issue. If a child has had a, a distracted start, therefore missed the explanation, and then when you set them off is now disrupting the class, I would be going over and say, right, let's go through this first question. Let me just check you know what you're doing. Chances are they don't know what they're doing. So they say, right, let me just help you now. Let me sit down with you. Let me take some time and work with you so we can get this. And then you say, right, you happy? You get it? Cool. So I'm going to come back in five minutes time, and I'm going to check this next question for you. So I want to just check you know what you're doing. So only five minutes focus work, nice and small time, nice and small time bracket, nothing like half an hour, quick five, short and sharp. Even if you want to write the time on their book and say, right, what's the time? It's 2.26, cool. I'm gonna come back at 2.30 because I'm confident you know this now. So do your best, I'll come back, I'll check in you again, make sure you're doing the right thing. Guarant like that will work for 90 plus percent of kids, 90 plus percent. Nine, I'm going to go, I'm going to build my, I'm going to die on this hill. 90 plus percent of kids, that will work for them if they've been causing disruption. What won't work is telling them to just get on with the work. Otherwise, it's now detention. That ain't going to work because it's either going to be they're just going to sit there and not get on with the work or they're going to end up in detention or they're going to disrupt the class again because they don't know what they're doing. But yeah, um, wow, it's been a massive ramble, but hopefully it's been a, a worthwhile ramble maybe to the people listening but hopefully more importantly to someone that listens back to the show um trying to build more positive relations with their students maybe it's giving you some food for thought maybe it's going to make you be a more reflective practitioner in the classroom 
Um, maybe it's going to make you consciously seek small ways to make students know that you care because all those things are really important and I don't think enough emphasis is placed on them. They weren't, wasn't placed on when I was training to teach. Um, it wasn't placed when I was training to teach. So maybe this will be the inspiration some of you need to um, really build positive relationship with kids. Do that first. Do that first. Make that your priority if a class isn't going so well. Make that a priority for you. Okay. Thank you very much for everyone that has tuned in. Thank you very much for everyone that's contributed. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'll be back. I should be back next week with another pastoral CPD clinic. Don't know what I'm going to talk about yet, um, but I'll see what comes to mind. If you have anything that comes to mind that has a pastoral slant, then just get at me on Twitter, which is at Khalil underscore R91, or you can go through the kind of radar.com sorry, at ttradio.org. Wow, that's not correct. At ttradio2021. Um, you can message that way. You can find me that way because I want to make this pastoral CBD clinic a thing um, just to benefit people on the softer side of teaching. It's not all pedagogy. Teaching is not all pedagogy. Teaching is relationships. So we need to actually take some time and speak about it because it doesn't come naturally to everyone. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag pastoral CPD. I'm going to take over that entire hashtag on Twitter. That is my plan. (laughs) Thanks, guys. See you next week. Well, yeah, see you next week.